Now this morning we want to uh, look at this uh, wonderful truth that the God that we serve, uh, the God that sent Jesus Christ into the world as the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but we also understand that God himself is the God of Peace. And I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21 together. The scriptures are on the screen. We're going to read this small passage together, so will you please stand and let's read this together uh, as we focus upon this tremendous truth that our God is a God of peace. Beginning at verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, go ahead and you can read together. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, we do love you, and we thank you so much for another opportunity to dig into your word, to study uh, your truth. And on this very special day, as we are reminded that uh, you present yourself uh, to the city of Jerusalem, there were palms, there were shouts of, of Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and yet within a few days, those, those cheers turned into jeers, and people shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and uh, Lord, you, you were crucified, and then on Easter Day, you conquered death, never again to die. And so I pray that in these moments that we have together, that our hearts would be challenged and encouraged, that we would walk in obedience to your truth. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All the nations of the world today are in an elusive quest for peace. In fact, if we would be honest with ourselves this morning, every single one of us as individuals desire peace. It's something that the human heart craves more than anything else, to be at peace with God, to be at peace with our neighbors, to be at peace with those around us. There is deep within the side of every human being a desire for peace. In fact, not too long ago, there was a professional basketball player by the name of Ron Artest who changed his name from Ron Artest to World Peace. Uh, he wanted to be known as World Peace. In fact, you go to the scriptures and you discover that as Christ followers, we are to pray for our world leaders in order that we may live quiet and peaceable lives in Christ Jesus. So over and over again, there is an emphasis on the need for peace and the desire, the hunger that people have for peace. In the nearly 4,000 years of recorded human history, only 286 of those years have been years of peace. The rest of those years have been years of war. There have been more than 10,000 treaties made 
in the course of time. The average lifespan of a treaty is less than two years. As one communist leader put it, he said, treaties are like pie crusts. They need to be broken. And so we live in a world where there is chaos and confusion, and there is a desire for peace, and yet peace is a jewel that is hard to come by. Back in 1969, when the Apollo 11 astronauts landed on the lunar surface, and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped out of that capsule onto the moon's surface, the first two humans to ever touch that uh, part of our world, uh, as they gazed into the, the horizon and as they surveyed all of the, the uh, environment around them, uh, they landed in a place they dubbed the Sea of Tranquility. And as they looked out, they were just stunned by the, the amazing beauty, the, the grandeur, the quietness, the stillness of something that had been undisturbed until they landed. There's something about being in that kind of an environment that just gives a sense of, of awe and absolute peace. And so we live in a world today that is craving peace, a world that is, is desirous of peace, but the moment we think we have it, it slips through our grasp. It's very interesting to me that the Scripture has much to say about peace. In fact, the God that we love and we serve is known as the God of peace. And peace from a biblical perspective is not merely the cessation of hostility, but rather it is an unimpaired relationship with the living God. To have an unimpaired relationship with the living God, that is what really brings peace to our hearts. We think of peace, we think of living in a world where there's no war, there's no conflict, there's no rebellion. And yet, true peace is something that only is produced by the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we respond to the Prince of Peace who came into the world and laid down his life on the cross for us so that we could be saved and inherit the joy of heaven. Lasting peace is much more than just a cessation of hostilities. It's much more than serenity and calmness. The rather lasting peace comes through a personal relationship with the God of peace, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that peace was purchased for us at the cross. When Jesus laid down his life on the cross for us, he purchased our salvation. Salvation is not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can uh, uh, gain in our own strength. It only comes as we submit to what Christ has done for us at the cross and recognize that through the purchase of our peace, it required the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word peace means to bind together. God, in sending his Son into the world, binds us together. He dies in our behalf for sins he didn't commit. He died for your sins and for my sins, and through his death, he promotes and provides peace. He binds a holy God with sinful man together, and he purchases this 
wonderful reality that we can experience as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible speaks of peace in a number of different ways. First of all, the Bible speaks of peace with God. You see this in Romans 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, underscore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word justified is a big theological term. It simply means to declare righteous. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us who are unrighteous to become righteous. He justifies us. He dies in our place. He makes it possible for us to have a brand new life in him. We can't make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves right with God. We need that precious blood of Christ that was spilled at Calvary so that we could experience this wonderful peace with God. It's not something that we inherit. It's not something that someone else can do for us. It is something that we must personally uh, invite the Lord Jesus to be our Savior and our Master. And when we do, he looks upon us just as if we've never sinned. So when we have peace with God, we're in a right relationship to him. We've received his gift of life. The Bible not only speaks of the peace with God, but also the peace of God. And Paul, as he speaks to the Philippian believers, these folks have already made their peace with God. They have put their faith and their trust in him. Now he reminds them as they have experienced peace with God, they also have the peace of God that surrounds them daily in their lives. And the peace of God is that consciousness of a daily presence that we're in the presence of the Lord and he is at work in our lives. And it's God's presence in our lives as Christ followers that enables us to stand up to temptation. Uh, it helps us to deal with the stresses and the strains of life. It is that peace that keeps us calm amidst the storms because Christ's presence is evident in all that we do. It's a gift to all those who place their trust in Jesus. And he continues in Philippians 4 and verse 7 that this kind of peace, this presence of Christ that is constantly with us as Christ followers, notice, transcends all understanding. It's something that's so real and so incredible that it surpasses our ability to truly comprehend and take it all in. It surpasses all of our careful planning and clever ideas. Unfortunately, many of our world are overburdened and stressed out because they're trying to handle the problems of life on their own. Many times they're trying to handle difficulties that they themselves have created, and they find themselves running in circles trying to find some sense of peace, but they've missed the most important source, and that is the peace that comes through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul's not finished. If you keep your eyes there on Philippians 4, verse 7, this peace of Christ, notice, it not only transcends all understanding, but it also, quote, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that is a word of protection. 
In other words, it paints the picture, that word guard paints the picture of a sentry keeping guard over a city. He marches back and forth in front of the city gates, keeping out all intruders. And it's this wonderful peace of Christ that, that guards us and, and enables us to stand tall for Jesus, no matter what the enemy may throw at us in terms of a storm. During this last year or so, many... <clears throat> shut themselves up in homes. We were required to do so. Couldn't get out. The pandemic kept us all at home. And during that particular time, many people turned to other ways for peace. They turned to drugs and to alcoholism. There was an increase in abuse in the homes and the viewing of pornography. You see, all those kinds of things, they don't bring peace. They bring more problems into our lives. The only thing that brings real peace is this relationship that we have that Christ purchased for us when he went to the cross and laid his life down for each one of us. And then lastly, the Bible speaks of the Lord of peace. I love this. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And notice the next two phrases. Underline them in chartreuse. At all times... And in every way. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace. What? Let's say it together. At all times and in every way. And then he says, the Lord be with you all. You see, God promises peace. No matter what the situation may be that we find ourselves in. We can have this wonderful peace because of what Jesus has done for us. And because of the initiative of the God of peace in sending his son into the world to be our Lord and our master. Now as we come to this passage in the book of Hebrews, we discover that he concludes the book with a prayer. A benediction that focuses on the God of peace. Now <clears throat> throughout this epistle, if you will read it, he speaks... The writer here speaks continually about the blood of Christ, the eternal covenant, the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, the significance of doing God's will. These are the big themes that are uh, peppered throughout this book. But now as he brings his epistle to a close, he wants them to focus on the fact that God is a God of peace. And so he begins his doxology by saying, May the God of peace. And then he gives us very unique descriptions of who this God of peace really is. First of all, the God of peace is a conquering God. Look at verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to Focus on that phrase, the brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I've already said, as you read through the little epistle of uh, Hebrews, there is much attention given to the death of Christ and to the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. But now as he wraps up this letter, he speaks about a God who conquered death and raises him from the grave. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a mighty act of power on God's behalf. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter preaches probably one of the greatest sermons ever delivered, an evangelistic message to the people who uh, had responded to the message that had previously been given. And in Acts 2 and verse 24, he says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was, notice the text, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, death is no problem for our conquering king, for this God of peace. Yes, sinful men crucified him, placed him in a tomb, but God resurrected him on that third day according to the scriptures. He has knocked out man's last enemy. The thing that most people fear outside of Christ is death. You talk to people who have no relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are fearful about death. They don't know what to expect. The, the Bible tells us because Jesus Christ was resurrected, he has knocked death out once and for all. The enemy has been destroyed. Man's last enemy has been put to death. And Jesus Christ today remains in a risen state. Jesus puts it this way, John 11, 25 and 26. I myself am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never, no, never die. You see, the God of peace is a conquering God. He is the resurrected Lord. And we are more than conquerors, the Bible says, through him that loved us. Because the God of peace is a conqueror, we can conquer anything that the enemy may throw at us because of our relationship to the one who defeated death once and for all. In fact, the Bible says this one who defeated death is now resident in you. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. So we have so much to celebrate because of our conquering God of peace. Number two, the God of peace is not only a conquering God, he is a compassionate God. Notice again the text that describes him as that great shepherd of the sheep. That great shepherd of the sheep. Now, this theme of God being our shepherd is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testaments. We're all familiar with that great shepherd psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when God is our shepherd, we lack absolutely nothing. If you know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, you may not have a lot of this world's uh, material goods, but you are the richest person alive because you have a relationship with the living God. It's that which gives spiritual strength to every single one of us. There's no lack with God. Oh, we may face trials. Uh, we may face hardships. We may face difficulties, but that does not mean that we face them alone. Our God, who is a compassionate God, is right by our side. The psalm, 
Psalm 23 concludes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of, the, of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This God of peace is a compassionate God. In the New Testament, specifically John 10, Christ speaks of himself as the good shepherd. Sometimes do a study on the various ways in which our good shepherd is described. Sometimes he's described as the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He is a shepherd who cares for his own. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd here again in reference to the cross, he lays down his life for his sheep. He fights off the wolves and intruders. The good shepherd does everything he can to protect the flock. And our good shepherd is there to protect us and to care for us. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He goes on to say in verse 18 that I have purchased for them eternal life because I am the resurrection and the life. There is no one who cares more for you than the God of peace who is the good shepherd. There's not another person that you can name that cares and knows you so well. He knows you inside and out. He knows your ups and your downs, your failures, your successes. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. There's nothing that can separate you, the Bible says, from this incredible love of our shepherd who cares for us. This God of peace is a God of compassion. And then thirdly, notice, the God of peace is a covenant-keeping God. Notice again verse 20. Through the blood of the eternal covenant. You see, every word in this doxology is significant. Now, the covenant that Christ establishes through his death and resurrection is an eternal covenant in contrast to the Old Testament system that was temporary and only a shadow of that which was to come. We don't have all the time here this morning, but if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, they contrast, the writer contrasts the old covenant with the new. The old covenant where they had to sacrifice a bull or a goat or a lamb over and over again to atone for the sins of the people. The sacrifice had to be repeated over and over and over again. Putting your faith in that sacrifice didn't save you. It only showed you how much you needed the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus offered himself on the cross, it was a once and for all sacrifice. It never again needs to be repeated. And because he shed his blood on the cross for our sins, he has established a covenant that lives and lasts and will never go away. Colossians 1 and verse 20 puts it this way, the God of peace, he made peace for us through his blood shed on the cross. I remember as a kid singing that little chorus, his banner over me is love. There's one way through peace. One way to peace is through the power of the cross. His banner over us is love. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that was once and for all sacrifice. It never again needs to be repeated. He has established an eternal covenant. 
The only passport that will get us into heaven is the passport that's been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. That's why we can sing, there's power in the blood. It's all about the blood. Blood is life-giving. And Jesus shed his blood. He gave us life so that we could live forever. Very interesting, as you keep on looking at some of the context here in Hebrews. If you go over to chapter 9, verses 13 and 15, he contrasts again the old covenant with the new. He says, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremoniously unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. And notice the text, underline it. How much more then, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse your consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? In fact, as you go through the book of Hebrews, how much more, how much more, over and over again, that phrase is used speaking of the covenant that was sealed with the blood of Christ and is available to every single one of us if we will put our faith and our trust in him. The God of peace keeps his word. He keeps his covenant. It is a permanent and lasting covenant from God himself. And then lastly, the God of peace is a completing God. Notice the last part of verse 21, that he will equip you with everything good for doing his will. Now, again, that word equip, don't let that get by you too quickly this morning. It speaks to the fact that the God of peace is a resourceful God. He always completes and restores us to a proper condition. You could look at it this way. He repairs and he mends us back together. You see, the God of peace is the one who takes our lives that are broken and messed up because of sin, and he mends us back together. He repairs us. He equips us so that we can be instruments that God can use to touch the lives of others. Now, he not only completes us spiritually, but I also believe he completes us relationally. As you study the text here, and especially the context, there's a hint that the people to whom this writer is penning this letter were being torn apart by internal problems and difficulties. If you'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 15, he intimates this uh, very clearly. Therefore, he says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He's not talking about some kind of physical lameness, but there was a, a, a lameness in their relationships with each other. He goes on to say, notice, make every effort, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Something was going on here with the saints that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They were having all kinds of relational difficulties. And so the writer here addresses it very specifically. And he says, make every effort. 
Focus your attention on getting along with each other. You've been a recipient of this God of peace. He not only creates peace spiritually, but he also is the one who creates peace, peace relationally. He speaks here to the body of Christ as being torn by internal strife and division. Limbs figuratively have become disjointed. And no doubt there were some concluded that there was absolutely no hope for reconciliation to occur. Very interesting what he says here. In fact, it's, it's been, I've just been amazed as I've looked at this. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. You see, when we allow personal differences and, and things to divide us, we miss all the grace that God has for us. God wants to shower us with his grace. But when we allow internal strife and, and discord to, to interrupt our lives, we miss this wonderful grace that is available to us. And so the Hebrew writer is holding out great hope. He says, don't get bitter, get better. Focus your attention on all the resources that you have because the God of peace has purchased peace for you. You are at peace with him. He's equipped you to be at peace with one another. And when relational hurts are healed and covered with the blood of Christ, God, the God of peace, of peace is pleased. Look at this. Verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. You see, God wants to work in us. He wants to transform us into agents of peace, to be peacemakers, to be those that are pursuing peace in our relationships with each other. Notice again, verse 14, make every effort to live at peace with all men and all women. The God of our peace calls us to be peacemakers. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Our number one priority in the body of Christ ought to be peacemaking. We ought to be peace-loving people. We ought not to be hanging on to things that maybe we don't understand or maybe things have not turned out the way we would like them and we've, we've drawn up sides. It's terrible what happens many times. And the writer here is calling us to be peacemakers it's possible peace the only people that can be true peacemakers are the people of god do you understand this and and yet we we for whatever we're, we're drawn to to relational discord and strife isn't that interesting we who are called to be peacemakers, we want to get the inside track on this. We want to get the inside so that we can have. It's, it's sad. It's just sad. You see, peacemaking is the high calling of God. You see this in Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. Let every one of us, therefore, make every effort what, to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do you see, if, if all of us... Uh, understood the dynamic of the God of peace and how he's at work in our lives, we would be looking for ways to restore relationships. We would be looking for ways to build each other up and to strengthen one another. 
He calls us to be peacemakers. We're not to pattern our lives after the wisdom of the world is, uh, which says you either do it my way or you can take the highway. That's not the way of the cross. That kind of rigid intolerance and unbending nature is what rips relationships apart in homes and in churches. An unknown poet describes this worldly attitude very bluntly. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat, drink but what I drink, look, uh, look as I look, do as I do, and then and only then I'll fellowship with you. That kind of intolerance and jealousy and selfish ambition cannot exist where there is an environment and an atmosphere of peace. James puts it this way. James chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, notice the text, is first of all pure, then what? Peace. Oh, that was weak. It is peace. Oh, it is peace loving. The wisdom from the God of peace, he is one who enables us to be peace lovers. Notice. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers, notice the text, who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Friends, if we want to see God work in our lives, if we want to see a great harvest of righteousness, we need to be what kind of people? Peace loving. Peace loving. We have been equipped to be peace-loving people. Peace does not need to escape us. It can be something that is foundational in all of life if we will put our focus and our confidence in what Christ has done for us at the cross and how he has changed us from the inside light, inside out and covered us with his cleansing blood and freed us from ourselves so that we can serve one another in love. Now, what are some positive ways? Let me give you some positive ways we as the people of God can be peacemakers and demonstrate to the world that peace is calling the shots in our lives. And for this, I've gone to the book of Proverbs. You know, the book of Proverbs has so much wisdom. And uh, I find out that if I want to have some good practical wisdom from the Lord, I go to the book of Proverbs. Here are four things that we can do to be peace lovers. Number one, work to build others up. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears it down. Let's purpose to be affirming People who are always building up. If you can't build up a person, don't say anything. Look for ways to build and lift others. 
Be complimentary of others. Number two, watch your tongue. Be sure to use your tongue only to heal and not to hurt. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. When I was growing up, whenever my brother and I would get into a tiff, our mom said, quote that verse, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And we had to say that to each other until we got the tiff taken care of. Watch our tongues. Our tongues get us into big trouble. Number three, wage war with anger. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. When we get bent out of shape and we take matters into our own hands and we want to set the record straight and we want to make sure that there is a winner and a loser, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. But notice the text. A patient man calms a quarrel. Proverbs 16.32 Better a patient man than a warrior, and he who controls his temper, some translations say rules his spirit, that is, when we're in control of ourselves, even in unguarded moments, that is the one who takes a city. Then number four, win by trusting God for everything. Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. You see, pacemakers, they are rare individuals, but you know what? They please God. Do we want to please God? Do we want his stamp of approval on our lives? Do we want to be so winsome in our relationships that as people see us and hear our conversations, that we're not talking about others, we're not putting others down, we're not lifting ourselves up, we're always seeking to lift and encourage. Let me tell you, it transforms all of us. For God is the God of peace. Who is he? He is the conquering God, the compassionate God, the covenant-keeping God, and the completing God. Let me leave you with four or with three thoughts. Number one, the God of peace always completes everything he does. He doesn't do anything halfway. The Bible tells us that when he begins a good work in us, he will bring it to full completion. We may not have peace, but we can experience peace as we surrender to Jesus 
and allow him to transform us not only internally and spiritually, but let him transform our relationships as well. Number two, the God of peace is a good pattern to follow. If you're looking for someone to model, if you're looking for someone to pattern your life after, pattern it after this God of peace. And then lastly, the God of peace, I believe, is deserving of our total allegiance. When we give him our total allegiance, then we are giving him the glory that he alone deserves. Notice the last part of that prayer. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but on this Palm Sunday, I want to give him glory by acknowledging that he is king. Let's stand together, shall we, for closing prayer. Father in heaven, you have given to us every resource that we will ever need to live lives that please you. We never want to take lightly what you did for us at the cross. You purchased our salvation. You spilled your blood so that our sins could be forgiven. You conquered death and resurrection that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to miss the grace that comes as you use us to be peacemakers, as you use us to heal relationships, as you use us to direct the attention of every person we come in contact to Jesus. We love you so much. Today is a day of triumph. And I'm so thankful that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.